Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 1, 1 to 4, which on the Pew Bibles is on page 697. If you don't have a Bible, you're invited to take a Bible home uh, with you today as a gift from the church. They're located uh, on the table in the back. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The word of the Lord. Max. Heavenly Father, we want to hear from you tonight. We want to hear from your word. Uh, we've been singing your praises. We've been speaking to you. And now we want to quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, and hear what you have to say to us. And so I pray that through your Holy Spirit, uh, you would take my words and, uh, and help your people hear what you want them to hear. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fake news. We all have heard about fake news, right? So what's the difference between real news, true news, and fake news? Now, I would define fake news as something that's like actually not true. Uh, it's not something that I just don't want to be true, but something that actually is indeed false. And real news, true news is just that. It actually took place. It's happening. And so I think we all want to know that we can discern like between true news and fake news. I know I want to discern that, but I thought, why not just put the whole congregation to the test tonight to see, uh, to see if you all can determine what is true news and what is uh, fake news. So I've, I've uh, brought a couple headlines uh, for you tonight, and I want you to... Raise your hand if you're bold enough to say, you know, this headline is true news. And if you think it's fake news, you can just keep your hands down. So there's no in-between. There's no, like, raising your hands halfway if you're not sure, all right? So here's the first one. Gatorade banned and fined $300,000 for bad-mouthing water. <laughs> is this fake news? You can raise your hand. Or is this true news? All right, we have a couple votes for fake news, not, but the majority, I think, uh, vote for uh, true news, and the majority happens to be right. It is true news. Apparently, Gatorade made an app that, that portrayed water as just like slowing you down, and so they got sued for it. How about this next one? You probably saw it coming. Elderly woman trains 65 cats to steal from her neighbors. You can picture it, right? The owner somehow teaches cats. You can put your hands up if you think it's fake. Okay, so a few more. Uh, you know, elderly woman teaches her cats to go steal shiny objects. This doesn't seem so unbelievable. Is it real or is it fake? Well, it's fake news. All right. Terry, I think you're doing 0% so far. <laughs> uh, we're going to... It's a good thing you're our elder. Uh, all right, here we go. 
celebrate pancakes with a maple syrup bath at famous Japanese hot springs resort. Do you like pancakes? Do you like syrup? This is your perfect opportunity. Do you think this is fake? Raise your hand, or is it true? Keep your hands down. A couple people raising. What do you think, Terry? (laughs) 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 You were like, okay, well, they could actually get you a Christmas present because this is indeed true news. So I know where your vacation plans are next. Final one here. The story of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection is true. Now, I'm not going to make you vote on this one. You don't have to raise your hand. Our sermon series is called The Certain Gospel, so the true gospel, the true good news. Gospel means good news, and that's, that's kind of what the whole book of Luke is about, the truth of the good news. And I want us to ask ourselves for a second whether or not this is true news or is it fake news? Like, that's the big question. That's the question that matters for us as Christians, as believers, or even if you're not a Christian, not a believer, this truly matters. Jesus is the most important human being in all of history. He's the most important person. And he makes some pretty startling claims about our lives, how we should be living our lives, what we need to do to step into the next life in the right way. And so is the account of Jesus and his teachings, is it true or is it fake? Now, I think we find the answer in Luke by looking at three questions, kind of the what, the how, and the why. See, Luke asks, uh, well, in our first couple of verses, we can ask about Luke, what did he write? And then how did he write it? And then finally, why did he write it? And it's as we answer these three questions that I think we begin to understand that Jesus is indeed true news and not fake news. So let's get started by looking at this first question, uh, verse 1. What did Luke write? And we can answer this in the very first uh, verse of the gospel of Luke. Luke 1 verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Another way of saying this is that many have tried to draft a story of what God promised to do and then actually did among us. So that's what fulfilled means. It's talking about Old Testament prophecies, what God said he would do and what God has fulfilled among us. It's God's action. And so I think Luke is writing two things. He's writing a narrative. He's writing a story. He's writing uh, kind of the, the history of what took place among, him, among the early church, among the early believers. And then he's also writing how it's a fulfillment of God's promises from the Old Testament. So it's as if Luke is writing how God has stepped down into the story and is thus fulfilling the story. See, Luke is writing Christmas. <laughs> Luke is writing Christmas, the story of God stepping into human history. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, the story of God stepping into human history. So this is what Luke is writing. 
Now we're going to look at the whole gospel of Luke through our sermon series. And we're going to see several big themes occur over and over again. And these big themes all connect to this idea of the story of God stepping into human history. So I want us to just focus for a moment on these four themes. Uh, they're kind of a loose adaptation from Mike McKinley's Luke for You series. But the first one is the Holy Spirit moving. The Holy Spirit moves. Now, for those of you that have read the New Testament before, you know that there's actually a different book in the New Testament called the book of Acts that is normally affiliated with the Holy Spirit. It's called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the, the Acts of the Apostles. Well, Acts, the book of Acts, is the second in a two-part series. See, Luke wrote Luke first, the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote Acts. So it's the two-part series. So we would expect to see the same theme of the Holy Spirit's movement in the book of Luke, and we do. So that's one way that God is stepping into our story through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We believe in one God as Christians, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the next one is that this Holy Spirit hears our prayers so that prayer works. Prayer is talking to the one true God. I really like this illustration from Sky Jatani. It kind of defines the four stages of prayer. The first stage is of prayer is talking at God, and actually that's pride. And we have the second stage, praying to God. Well, that's what we have for faith. The third is listening to God, hope. And the fourth is being with God, love. So you're going to have an opportunity as we go through this Luke series, and hopefully we're going to talk about prayer a couple times, to ask yourself, is my prayer just talking at God? Is it being with God? Is it listening to God? What is my prayer? And Luke teaches us about the prayers of Jesus. He, he teaches us uh, what Jesus says about prayer itself. The next theme is God saves his people. Now, the angel announces to the shepherds uh, the arrival of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. And when he does this, he says, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Messiah is God's promised Savior, God's promised King for his people. And the whole book of Luke is about this Messiah, this King, this Savior. See, since Adam and Eve, since the very first human beings fell and disobeyed God, they disobeyed God, and the whole world fell into sin. And we've continued in that story of sin, but Jesus comes along to deliver us from that story and to give us a story full of hope and joy and peace and forgiveness. And we see it really come to uh, fulfillment in Christ. The fourth theme is that Jesus flips the norm upside down. So throughout the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see Jesus blessing the social outcasts. That means he shows favor and grace to sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and the sick and the poor and the needy. He prioritizes them. And when he encounters the prideful, the proud, the arrogant, the religious, 
He humbles them. He challenges them. It's really a flipping of, uh, of uh, how things normally are because God's kingdom, God's world is different and Jesus is bringing God's world into ours. So as we look at these themes, what do we see? We see the Holy Spirit moving, prayer working, God saving, Jesus changing the world. We see God stepping into our story and writing it and changing it and flipping it upside uh, and flipping it the way it should be. Uh, do you know the, stores, uh, the story of Alice in Wonderland? Uh, maybe you've watched the movie or you've read the book or you've kind of heard the poems or you just know about the story in, gen- in general. Well, Lewis Carroll wrote this story. Uh, he was an author, a writer. Uh, he was also, I think, an Anglican um, like bishop. He, he uh, had, a, had a great imagination and a great mind. And he first told the story of Alice in Wonderland to his friend Henry Liddell's three daughters, Lorena, Alice, and Edith. And in fact, if you look at Alice in Wonderland, there's this poem at the beginning of the book. And in the poem, he writes about these three little girls. And he names them Prima, Secunda, and Tertia. He brings them into the book and he begins to put them in the story. And then, of course, the second daughter, Alice, well, she gets the, to be the name of the protagonist. I'm sure all of her sisters were very jealous that she got to be in Wonderland. See, God has written his son into our story. <laughs> really, he's written us into his. Lewis Carroll, he, he drew out the imagination of these three little girls by drawing them into the story. God draws our imagination out as he, as he shows that his son has entered into our story. And if God has entered into our story, that means God has entered into your story. Has God changed your story at all? <laughs> is he the author that is writing your life? Or is your story continuing to go along as if Jesus is a minor character? <laughs> as if God, like we'll, we'll put God in the acknowledgement <laughs> or we'll dedicate it to him, but we're gonna go through the rest of this story without paying any attention to him. Christmas time is an opportunity to say, I don't want my story to be about me. I want to recognize that God is in my story, that I'm in God's story. That ultimately, the story's about him. So I hope as we go into Christmas time this year that we will take a moment and ask God to reorient our lives so that we're making our every day about him, so that he's not an add-on, but he is the primary focus of our lives. That he shows us that like, he ultimately is what everything is about, bringing him glory and him praise. So this answers the question, right? What did Luke write about? He, he wrote about God entering into our story. But how did Luke write this? Because this is like a, a pretty fantastical story, right? Now, it, it is supernatural, but it's not fantasy. And, and we see that as we look at how Luke wrote it. So how did he write it? Uh, Luke wrote it uh, in verses 2 through 3. Let's look at those. 
Luke drafted the story of things fulfilled just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So how did he write it? Carefully, based on eyewitness accounts. See, kind of like Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, Luke investigated the truth claims of, uh, of this story, of this story that he had heard and he had put his faith in. He wasn't content to just hear it and believe. He wanted to investigate it. Now, what do we know about Sherlock? If you've ever read The Adventures or watched any of the movies, you know that he has like an eye for the details, right? He notices the little things that other people uh, don't pay attention to. And as we go through the book of Luke, we're going to see little details that Luke puts in there that, that show us that this account really happened, that it's not just someone with like a vivid imagination. There's, there's details that are unique and that are specific. But Luke is also like Dr. Watson. See, Dr. Watson, he's a doctor. He's a trained physician. And in fact, our author of the Gospel of Luke is a doctor. Colossians 4.14. Our dear friend, Luke the doctor, and Demas send greetings. So Luke had medical knowledge and training. This doesn't necessarily mean that he was wealthy or, or, uh, or powerful, but we can assume that he would take the same care in investigating the story of Jesus Christ as he would take caring for his patients and uh, uh, the sick. Uh, he would pay attention to them and, and go about the task there, caring for them in a certain way, and he would take the same care as he investigated the truth claims of Jesus Christ. And like Sherlock and Watson, as they're trying to solve their murder mysteries, they talk to different witnesses, well, so would Luke have talked to different witnesses. He would have talked to the men who knew Jesus. At one point in the New Testament, Paul says that over 500 people saw that Jesus was alive. Luke knew Paul. So he could have talked to those 500 people that, that, that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the grave. And then in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 21 through 22... Uh, one of the uh, disciples, the original disciples, died, right? Judas. And they replaced Judas. And they say they chose one of the disciples, uh, they, they chose the replacement, kind of the 12th apostle, from men who had been there since the beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way through the end. Now, Luke also wrote Acts. So he could have talked to these men who were there from the beginning. He could have talked to multiple different people. Now, Luke wrote this gospel at about 70 AD. Now, we don't know the exact time frame. It could be anywhere within 20 years uh, at that time frame. But, uh, but if it was right around 70 AD, that's about 40 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's not very long after the actual events. That's within that lifetime. And so people could have shared what actually taken place from what they saw. There was an eyewitness account. In their society, you know, they, they didn't have easy access to reading and writing. 
And so they spend a lot more time training their minds to remember, uh, to kind of pass along uh, through their words what actually took place with very little loss. So we can rely on their testimony. But Luke didn't just talk to the men. He also talked to women who saw it happen. In fact, he probably talked to Mary herself. As we go through the gospel of Luke, we'll see like little places where it says like Mary treasured it in her heart. Well, how would Luke know that unless he had talked to Mary and she had said, I was treasuring this thing in my heart. So we have Mary's voice coming into this gospel. But then it also, he also records that Mary Magdalene and Joanna, these were the, the first women to, to see the resurrected Jesus. And so he could have spoken with them. And that's an interesting fact, right? Because in that culture, in Roman culture and in Jewish culture, a woman's testimony did not mean as much as a man. So you, you wouldn't uh, make up a story by saying, oh, well, women saw it happen in that time. You would want to have a man's testimony. Luke trusted these women. Luke trusted these men. Do we trust them? Do, do we trust their eyewitness accounts? But maybe some of you are thinking, well, there are four different gospel accounts, right? And I know some of the, there are some like differences between the gospel accounts. How can you explain that? Maybe these are just lies. Maybe you've been to the museum in Washington, D.C. I, I love this museum. I, I went a while ago. Uh, but out front of the museum, you can kind of see that like the bottom part of the picture, they have a row of cases. And in these cases are newspapers from all around the world, like that day's newspaper. And so you can go and you can look at the different headlines from all around the world. And these newspapers, right, if there's a big world-changing event, they'll all be covering the same story. But if you look at each story, they might have a, 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 a similar headline, but it's going to be a different headline. It's, there's going to be different reporters, different authors of these stories. They're going to have different perspectives on how the story is taking place. And they're also writing all around the world, so they're writing to different audiences. And so they're all writing the same thing differently. And that's what we see in the gospel, uh, in the four gospel accounts. We have the same event, the life of Jesus, but we have different reporters with different angles, all writing to different audiences. And the first one is Matthew. He was one of the original disciples writing to Jewish Christians. And so as you read the Gospel of Matthew, you see kind of a unique perspective, speaking to Jewish Christians. And then as we look at Mark, well, Mark is Peter's account written to the church in Rome. Like he would have spoken it to Mark, and Mark would have written it down. So it is a, a firsthand account. And then Luke, Luke is writing to early believers. Uh, he's an early believer writing to Hellenized Jewish Christians. So he wasn't there. He didn't have an eyewitness account. Uh, he, he wasn't an eyewitness, but he had access to those, and he's writing to Hellenized Jewish Christians. Now, how do we know that? Well, the name Theophilus, that's a, that's a Greek name. Theo means God, and Philus means friend of God. Theophilus was the wealthy benefactor that helped pay for this writing of this manuscript, the Gospel of Luke. And it would have been intended for Theophilus, but then a wider audience like Theophilus, Hellenized Greek uh, Christians and Jews. And then finally, there's the Gospel of John. 
John is a disciple who is writing to convince Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So Luke wrote his gospel carefully, and he wrote it based on eyewitness accounts. But now we get to the question of why. So we've wrote what he wrote, God entering into the story, how he wrote carefully, and now finally we get to the why. Why did Luke write? Well, we can actually find this in the purpose statement in verse 4. See, Luke did all of this research and all of this investigation so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So why did he write? So that we can believe with certainty. So that all those Hellenized Jewish Christians can believe with certainty. So that all of the the Christians 2,000 years ago sitting at Cornerstone Congregational Church in Westford can believe with certainty. So that we can know that what we believe is indeed true. The Greek word here for certainty means truth. In other words, Luke writes so that those first Christians and so us today may know what is true. But this word for certainty also can be translated safety, security. See, there is safety in truth, isn't there? There is security in knowing what is real versus knowing, thinking you know what is real, but actually it's fake. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are moving your whole house, right? You're, you've bought a new house, you, you, so you've packed up your house, all your belongings, your family, your, your trunk full of, uh, of collections of Furbies, whatever you have that you collect, you've put them all in your U-Haul, and you are on the road with your family. And you come to this bridge, and it says, weight limit four tons on the sign above the bridge. And you look at the bridge, it's kind of rusty, it's pretty narrow. You know that you can fit onto the bridge. You're not that tall, but you ask yourself, like, I don't know how much my U-Haul weighs. I don't know how much is in this van. And so what do you do? Do you believe that the sign is true? Or do you believe that the sign is fake news? Do you take a deep breath and like put, put your pedal down and just drive across the bridge? But in so doing, you risk your entire life, all of your possessions, and the life of your family? Or do you pull up the Waze app and look for another route? <laughs> a different way to get to your new destination, to your new home. Would you ever risk your life on your best guess? Well, you might be risking your eternal life on your best guess. See, if we haven't asked ourselves what takes place when we die, what happens next, we haven't really examined one of the most important questions. See, you and I, we each face a much greater bridge, a much scarier bridge, a much darker bridge, and that bridge is death. 
And we're each going to face that bridge one day. It's scary. And it looks like it could collapse. But there is actually a sign over this bridge. And the sign over the bridge says this. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus Christ. See, there is a way to get across this bridge. There is a way to get through death safely. It's going to happen to every one of us here tonight. There's a way to get to eternal life, the next life. It can actually begin in this life. And Jesus isn't just a best guess. He is a certain guarantee. I want to challenge you, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, to stop risking your life your eternal life on your best guess. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he actually proved that that is true by rising from the grave. See, Jesus walked back across the bridge. (laughs) He walked into our viewpoint from the darkness and says, I can take your hand and I can walk you across this bridge safely but you have to trust me. You have to repent of your sins and you have to put your faith in me and then come follow me through this life. That's what Jesus offers. He offers a certain guarantee for eternal life. That fills us with joy. That fills us with hope in this life. But we have to examine ourselves. See, if we're Christians, we can still be be putting our hope in our best guess. (laughs) See, if you are a, call yourself a Christian, but you never get serious about following Jesus, you're just walking through this life trusting that, you know, the religion of your parents or the religion of your friends, that it's the right one. But we're all called to, to pause and to examine what we believe and to, to really seek to know Jesus. And I want to challenge you to do that as well. If, if your life looks the same as Everyone around you, do you really know Christ? Are you really trusting him? Are you really following him? Take a moment and examine if Jesus is real news or fake news. Now, if you're not a Christian, if, you're, if you don't consider yourself to be a believer, I hope that you will take the time to investigate, to look at the bridge, to, to look at the truth claims of Jesus Christ, to see if this Jesus thing might be real. One way you can do that is just by coming back next week. If you can't make it here, you can watch us on the live stream, but coming back week after week and going through the gospel of Luke and looking at the story of Jesus and seeing if he really is true, if these really are eyewitness accounts. You you can also pick up the book. We have a book back at the Welcome Center called The Case for Christ. It's by Lee Strobel. He was an atheist who was a journalist, and he took the time to investigate the truth claims of Christ. And he became a Christian through it. So I encourage you to pick that up at the Welcome Center. So question again, is Jesus fake news or is Jesus true news? I believe that Jesus is a true story. Jesus isn't fake news. Jesus is true news. Jesus is good news. See, actually, our sermon series, The Certain Gospel, is really named about Jesus. Jesus is the the true good news. 
He has come into this world to to lead us through this life and into eternity. And we can trust that, that Luke talked to people who saw it happen, who saw Jesus rise from the grave. Jesus is a true story. True stories are the best stories, right? Jesus is a true story. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story, for the story of Christ Jesus. Would we celebrate him this Christmas season? Would we be full of the the good news, the gospel news that Jesus is alive? We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful for you. It's in your name we pray, amen.